Uh, take our Bibles, please, and open to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And I would like to read the first 20 verses. Um, Pastor, there's, there's Brendan, there's Oni, and Sally without notes. I guess it's Brendan, didn't I? I met Ronald. Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some, some fell by the wayside. The fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Another fell on good ground, and it yielded fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some sixty, some, some, sorry, some thirty, some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him the parable, and he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? How then shall ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word. These are they by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. These are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things, entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some sixty, thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the uh, opportunity to be together this evening. Thank you that we can... Uh, pray together and thank you now that uh, we can read the scriptures and study uh, your word together uh, we pray that you might lead us and guide us teach us your ways uh, for we ask it in jesus name and for jesus sake amen now as you know last wednesday night uh, we completed pastor brendan completed our series in the book of ruth and i'd like to thank pastor brendan for teaching that series i know i appreciated the quality of teaching also appreciate Pastor Brendan's willingness to carry the load of Wednesday night Bible studies for the last couple of months. 
And the reason why he did that was in order to give me a break from Wednesday night ministry for the last couple of months. So initially we could get ready for the Holiday Kids Club, but then so that uh, uh, I was free from Friday night responsibilities for a couple of weeks while Olivia and Luke and Judah were visiting from America. So really appreciate Pastor Brennan's kind gesture. And I know that uh, all of us have appreciated the series on the book of Ruth. But with the series of Ruth now complete, what I'd like to do tonight and for the next couple of weeks is to return to our series on evangelism, where, if you think back, our most recent studies in the Gospel of John, we were having an in-depth look at conversations, uh, first with uh, Nicodemus, conversations Jesus had first with Nicodemus, John chapter 3, and then secondly with the woman of Samaria, John chapter 4. And as we reflect back on those conversations, two things are very obvious. And these are the main headings for tonight. Number one, the first thing is that there are different kinds of people, different, different kinds of sinners. For example, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus was a Jewish man. John chapter 4, it was a Samaritan woman. Uh, Nicodemus was religious. The Samaritan woman was not. He was a respected leader. She was a social outcast. He came to Jesus, whereas Jesus went out of his way to find the Samaritan woman. Nicodemus was curious, wanted more knowledge. The Samaritan woman was broken, empty, and looking for satisfaction. Totally different people. You could say polar opposites, and yet both were sinners. And Jesus managed to share the message of salvation with them both. And both of them were saved, one immediately, the other eventually. Now, of course, it's not just in the narratives of John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 that we see different kinds of people in need of salvation. We see different kinds of sinners throughout the four Gospels. We see educated people in the Gospels, scribes and the Pharisees. And we also see uneducated and unlearned people like publicans and sinners. We see people who were zealously self-righteous, like that rich young ruler who came to Jesus claiming to have kept the whole law. And we see other people who are actively opposed to Jesus, like the people in the, the Gadarenes who told Jesus to depart out of our coast because we don't want you here anymore. Our pigs are more important to us than you. In the Gospels, we see some people in authority who are strong, like the Roman centurion. Then we see other people who are weak and in need, like the widow of Nain. We see people with physical problems, like lepers. We see people with spiritual problems, like those who are demon-possessed. And as we analyse Jesus' encounters with people, we observe that he's dealing with a, a wide variety of sinners. And yet Jesus spoke God's word to them all. And what is also interesting is that in his teaching, particularly in his parables, Jesus taught, okay, Jesus taught, that's the word that's missing there, Jesus taught that there are a wide variety of sinners. Okay? We don't just see it by observation, just the different people he had in contact with, but Jesus actually taught this very point. He taught us, Particularly in his parable, there are a wide variety of sinners. 
For example, think about, first of all, the parable of the prodigal son and his elder brother. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 says that Jesus spoke this parable to a crowd of publicans and sinners. Luke 15, verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Then it, go, then it goes on in verse 2 to say that he spoke this parable to the publican sinners in the hearing of the scribes and Pharisees. Verse 2. The Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. So immediately we observe in the narrative two different groups of people, two different groups of sinners. But as Jesus then goes on to teach his parable, he's teaching in his parable that there's two groups of people, two different types of sinners. Those who are like the prodigal brother prodigal son you know the younger brother people who are sinful and rebellious and yet when it comes to the point of being broken they're willing to repent there are some sinners like that and then there are also other sinners like the older brother totally self-righteous unwilling to acknowledge their need offended that grace would be shown to anyone who doesn't deserve it and when we see who Jesus is speaking this parable to and who is hearing this parable, it's very obvious what Jesus is saying to which group. But Jesus is certainly teaching that there are different kinds of sinners. Think about the parable of the sower. We read the account in Mark chapter 4. Four different types of soil. What do they represent? Jesus gives us the interpretation. Four different conditions of heart, four different kinds of people, four different kinds of sinners. Firstly, there was the wayside soil that Jesus said illustrate the person with a hard heart. The seed of the word of God comes to them, but it doesn't penetrate, just sort of bounces off, makes no impact upon them. They're not interested. They have no comprehension. Their hearts seem impervious to the word of God. Some people are like that. There's other people who are like the stony soil. That illustrates a shallow heart, no depth of earth. There's a lot of rock there, but very little soil. And this is like the emotional hearer who responds with joy immediately but only superficially. They don't wholeheartedly receive the word of God. There's a lack of depth to them. And so their response, albeit quick and emotional, is only shallow and temporary. There are people like that. There are people like that that we're trying to share the gospel with. Thirdly, there was the thorn-infested soil that illustrates a, a crowded heart. The seed of the word of God is crowded out by weeds, weeds of competing interests, weeds of worldly influences, weeds of temporal concerns and material things. And then fourthly, the good soil 
represents the person whose mind is open, their heart is responsive, their conscience is sensitive to the Spirit of God in their heart. There is an awakening of faith, faith that is willing to believe and open to receive and gladly responds to the, the Word of God. The Word of God is able to penetrate deeply. It takes root downward. It bears fruit upwards. And in your notes, as people listen to Jesus' teaching about different kinds of people with different kinds of heart, as people listen to Jesus' parables, they were invited to think you know, about where, the, where they fitted into the story. They were drawn in to consider the condition of their own heart, their own responses, their own position before the Lord. This is what Jesus' parables did. Whether it was his parable about the two debtors or his parable about the Good Samaritan or the friend at midnight, the unjust steward, the foolish farmer, the laborers in the vineyard. All of these were teaching that there are different kinds of people who respond in different ways. And people begin to think about where they fit in the story, and what kind of person they are. So the teaching of Jesus, particularly in the parables, not only was it very engaging for his listeners, but it's also very instructive, even to us all these years later. In your notes, Jesus is teaching us that when we speak to people and share the word of God with them, we will be speaking to a variety of sinners and there will be a variety of responses. And this is helpful for us to know. It helps us to anticipate what to expect. And yet, there's also a word of warning that needs to be shared. Peter Masters has written a very helpful book entitled Biblical Strategies for Witness. And the major points that we'll be studying over the next couple of weeks actually come from that book. But he makes this very important point, and I've given you the quote. He says, parables such as these, distinguishing between states of unbelief must not be read or expounded in a fatalistic way. Some people fall into this trap. They say, for example, that the wayside hearer is a hopeless case. He represents a heart untouched by the Spirit and can never therefore hear, understand or respond and be saved. But the purpose of the Saviour is not to distinguish between those who will and those who will not be saved. It is to warn people if they fit into a bad category they cannot be saved while in that state. Perhaps even as the Lord described these bad categories, the Spirit illuminated the hearts of the people and awakened them to see their state so that by a mighty work of convicting grace, they were transferred into that better category of good ground. Now, I believe he's absolutely right. By the grace of God and by the Spirit of God, a person can move be moved from having a hard heart which was impervious to the word of God can be moved to having a receptive heart, a soft and tender heart that does receive the word of God and produces fruit. As a matter of fact, I think that that's exactly what we see with the Samaritan woman. It's exactly what we see. Turn back to John chapter 4, please. Mark chapter 4. Sorry, not Mark. John chapter 4. Beg your pardon. John chapter 4. Now, to begin with, this woman's heart was hard against Jesus. And John explained the reason for her hardness 
verse 9. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. That was enough for her. Nothing to do with this person. Not interested. She was suspicious. She was standoffish. And she was surprised. When a Jewish man and a rabbi that began to talk with her in public. She at that point had no understanding of her need. She didn't know who Jesus is. She didn't know, didn't have a clue what Jesus could offer her. But then as Jesus began to talk with her, her hard heart began to soften somewhat. And it became what we might call a shallow heart. The Lord offered her living water and what? Immediately she replied, verse 15, So give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. It's an emotional response. But it had no depth to it. She thought Jesus was talking about physical water. Jesus knew that. And so he continues to plough her heart plough up the hard soil of her heart. In the next verse, verse 16, he says, go call thy husband. And now Jesus is beginning to touch the most sensitive part of her life because she had had many husbands. She had lived an immoral life. And at that point in time, she, the man that she was with wasn't even her husband. This was a very sensitive issue for her. What happens next? Well, that ploughing that Jesus has been doing has an effect. There's another change in her heart. She developed a crowded heart. She begins to argue about religion. The old weeds of prejudice, the weeds of worldliness begin to spring up. And Jesus very wisely, a good example for us, you know, refused to get involved in any arguments about whether worship should be in Jerusalem or in Samaria. Her greatest need was to worship God in spirit and in truth. And that did resonate with her. And her heart continues to soften. And then what we see is that the good seed that was planted in her life years ago, years ago. Now, because there's been a change of heart, that seed begins to bear fruit. She says, I know that Messiah is coming. I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's going to teach us, tell us everything. She'd heard that promise messianic promise years before somewhere and now that her heart is beginning to soften Jesus reveals who he is and she believes and then uh, it bears fruit the fruit in her life is very obvious now, I think many of us would not be as patient with this woman as Jesus was in the way that he dealt with her. For us, you know, when she says, give me this water, verse 15, we would have prayed with her immediately and assured her she's saved. But Jesus knew better. He knew that her initial response was only shallow. He knew it wouldn't last. And so he continues dealing with her. He continues to plough the soil of her heart until she's ready to respond to the offer of salvation. 
And this is the point I think that Peter Masters is making right at the end there. The Spirit illuminates the hearts of people and awakens them to see their state so that by a mighty work of convicting grace, they are transferred to a, a better category of good ground. There's a variety of people. There's going to be a variety of responses. But we ought not think that hard hearts can't be reached. Hard hearts can soften. You know, even within one conversation, a heart that begins hard can soften within the conversation. If by the grace of God, the Lord would enable us to have those kind of productive conversations. This brings us to the second thing that we learn from Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. Not only the different kinds of sinners, there's also different strategies. That's the word that's missing there. Different strategies for witnessing to them. The way that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus was different from the way that he spoke to the Samaritan woman, which was different from the way that he spoke to the man born blind, which was different to the way that he spoke to the man who was lame at the pool of Bethesda, which was different to the way that he spoke to the multitude who gathered to hear the Sermon on the Mountain, and so on and so on. There are different kinds of sinners and there are different strategies for witnessing to them. And in your notes, you want to highlight this one, the Lord Jesus is a perfect example of witnessing that was targeted to the disposition of his hearers. He's a perfect example of witnessing that's targeted to the disposition of his hearers. If we pay, pay close attention to his interaction with people, and if we play, pay close attention to the things that he taught we can see that Jesus used specific evangelistic strategies. He would talk to different people in different ways. And with this group of people, he'd speak to them in this way and he'd do it consistently. And with this group of people, he'd speak to them in a different way, but he'd do that consistently. And with this group of people, he would teach, approach them this way and he'd do that consistently. He had definite evangelistic strategies in talking to various groups of people. And what I'd like for us to do over the next couple of weeks is to consider the kinds of people that Jesus witnessed to and then to learn how he went about sharing God's word with them. So this is the objective. The, our objective is to consider the evangelistic strategies Jesus used in different kinds of unbelievers and learn to employ them ourselves. Okay, and if we can learn to employ them ourselves, that will be to our great advantage. Now, to begin with, I'd like for us to consider <coughs> hard-hearted people. Hard-hearted people, like, like the people that we saw in the, the first group of the parable of the sower. People whose hearts are cold towards the word of God. They're hard against it. They're not at all interested. And there's plenty of them. There's plenty of them. Not at all interested. Hard-hearted. Question. There in your notes, what approach should we take with people who are ignorant and indifferent to the word of God and totally unconcerned about their souls? We're talking about the majority of Australians. People who are worldly, <clears throat> worldly in their desires, worldly in their habits, worldly in their values, worldly in their interests, worldly in their behaviour, worldly in their aspirations. They crave possessions and power and pleasure. 
They seem to know everything about the movie stars on the screen, but absolutely nothing about spiritual realities. They live for the present, no thoughts about eternity. It's the average person in Australia. And unfortunately, their indifference is often reinforced by organised religion. Have you noticed ministers of religion and members of the clergy are usually portrayed by Hollywood as sleazy, slimy, loathsome characters, the butt of jokes, the objects of disdain. The media is very quick to expose the wicked sins of the Catholic Church and the bizarre practices of the Pentecostal Church and the greed and the materialism of the prosperity gospel. And the impression is given that that's representative of Christianity. The average person concludes we're all the same. Added to that, liberal theologians, they themselves don't believe in a literal resurrection of Jesus. They don't believe in his substitutionary death upon the cross. They don't believe in the reality of hell. And with a Christianity like that, it's no wonder people are not interested. Hardened to the gospel, ignorant, indifferent, unconcerned. Now certainly those people need the gospel. They're not interested, they don't care about it. But unless they are willing to come to the point where they acknowledge the guilt of their sin and accept Jesus as their saviour, they will perish in hell for eternity. And so in trying to witness to hard-hearted people whose minds have been prejudiced against the gospel, where do we begin? Did Jesus face a similar situation? Well, the answer is yes, he did. The majority of Jews in Israel at the time of Jesus were completely ignorant to the true message of the scriptures and totally indifferent towards it. They were actually more indifferent than the Gentiles because the Jews in Jesus' day believed that they were the special people of God. They had his favour simply because of their birth and that led to a staggering complacency. Didn't need to do anything. Born a Jew, that's enough. Furthermore, their apathy, apathy towards spiritual things was only reinforced by the blatant hypocrisy of the clergy of their day, ministers of religion of their day, the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees did absolutely nothing to help people towards God. Nothing at all. As a matter of fact, everything they did in their religion, the hypocrisy of their religion, their false teaching just drove people further away from God. So Jesus did face a similar situation. He's dealing with the same sort of people that we encounter every day. People who are hard of heart, ignorant, indifferent, unconcerned. Question. <clears throat> did Jesus have a strategy he'd use with such people? Did he have a specific approach when he spoke with them? Well, the answer is yes, he certainly did. Well, what was it? What did he do to arouse these people's interests? What did he do to get them to listen? Well, as we pay close attention to Jesus's interactions with such hard-hearted people, we notice that he did several things. We're just going to consider one tonight. The first thing he did, and he did it consistently, and he did it continually. The first thing he did was to employ a strategy of disassociation a strategy of disassociation 
he would dis <clears throat> pardon me he would disassociate himself he would distance himself from the false religion of his day he would make sure that people understood that there is a world of difference between their their mistaken ideas about religion and what is true faith he made sure people understood that there's a world of distance he did this by repudiating hypocritical powerless religion and he discredited its teachers and as he did this people would be shocked their ears would then tune in they would then listen intently to the rest of his message okay that's the strategy that he would use he did it continually he'd often wait until there's a large group of people gathered together he'd often wait until within that large group of people they actually scribes and pharisees who are also close at hand and then in the hearing of all people he would denounce the errors and the false teaching, the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. For example, Luke chapter 12, verse 1 says, In the meantime, when there were gathered together innumerable multitude of people, insomuch they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He's clearly disassociating himself he's clearly distancing himself from their hypocrisy he's denouncing their hypocrisy another example mark chapter 12 jesus told a parable about a vineyard and the wicked husbandman who beat the messengers and then went ahead to kill the son and verse 12 the religious leaders said well sorry Verse 12 says of the religious leaders, says that they sought to lay hold on him because, uh, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. So you can imagine this kind of preaching infuriated the scribes and the Pharisees, but it had a different effect upon the crowd. It surprised them, it shocked them, it grabbed their attention, it woke them up to the fact that that Jesus as a rabbi represented something completely different from the dead religion of their religious leaders. And this was Jesus' first strategy. He would distance himself from the false religion in order to arouse interest in his distinctive message. This is a strategy that he employed consistently when addressing those who were ignorant and indifferent and unconcerned. He did the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's actually turn there, please. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. And here Jesus is addressing a group of people who would normally be indifferent and unconcerned about spiritual things. And yet, by the time that he's finished speaking... Chapter 7, verse 28, says the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribe. People are drawing their own conclusions now. Their own conclusions. Jesus is not like this. He's not like the status quo. He's different. The sermon begins 
with the Beatitudes, that's what we call them. Pronouncement of blessings upon the most unlikely people. Vastly different from anything they'd heard before. People are shocked. Totally unexpected. He's got their ear. But then when, he get, when we get down to verse 20, if they were shocked initially, now he blows them all away by saying verse 20, chapter 5, verse 20. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now certainly that offended the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus is saying that their righteousness is not enough. But it certainly grabbed the attention of the crowd. You see, although they didn't admire the religious leaders, they must have wondered, where is such righteousness found? They're certainly paying attention. Jesus continues his strategy, chapter 6. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Take heed that ye do not your arms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine arms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. They may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou dost arms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine arms may be in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. Thy father which seeth in secret shall Reward thee openly. This kind of denunciation of the hypocritical leaders is something that the hypocritical leaders were forced to listen to every time Jesus addressed the crowds. Every time Jesus is driving a wedge, he's driving a wedge between himself and the false teachers. He calls them his hypocrites, charging them with seeking the glory of men. And this is the consistent pattern that we see. Jesus continually disassociating himself from hypocritical dead religion. He begins at this point. And this is a good starting point for us. Especially when we're dealing with people who are ignorant and indifferent and unconcerned. We need to make it abundantly clear that Jesus and his teaching has got nothing to do with what most people imagine is standard religion. What people imagine is true of God's word and the gospel and Jesus is only a tragic perversion of it. Like the Lord Jesus, we must show that true faith is nothing like the travesty and the caricature people have in their minds. And, if I, and it will only be as false assumptions are swept away that then people's minds become open to the truth. For if we can make this point well, if we can make this point well, then the logical response of people is, well, what, what is the truth then about Jesus? How is he 
different. How, how does he teach differently? What, what, does he, what does he have to offer? What is the difference in his teaching? T tell me more. So one thing, one thing that Jesus did in conversations with people who were hard against God's word, ignorant and indifferent and unconcerned, is that he disassociated himself from false religion. This was his strategy. And following that example, following that example, will be a great advantage to us. Disassociating Jesus from false religion. All right, let's leave it there for this evening. That's a good place to stop. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we um, thank you for the way that in the scriptures is recorded for us. Jesus' dealings uh, with individuals and also with groups. And we thank you for the example that he has set for us. And Lord, I do pray that you might help us just to discern what example it is that the Lord Jesus is setting before us. How that he spoke to certain people in a certain way. I pray that you might help us, Lord, also to discern the people that we're speaking with, where they're at, and how the Lord Jesus would have us to speak with them. Lord, we acknowledge that this is a steep learning curve for us. And so, Lord, I do pray that you might teach us by the Spirit and through the Word of God. May the Spirit of God open our eyes and help us to see. Lord, help us to see the example of Christ, why he said certain things, and learning from him. Lord, I do pray that you might help us as we seek to have those conversations with unsaved people. Thank you for giving out of tracks. Thank you for preaching. Thank you for Bible studies we can get involved in, but we also thank you for those one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations that we can have with people that we meet, perhaps people that we meet on the doorstep, uh, people at work, one-on-one -on -one conversations. Uh, Lord, a lot of us have had conversations before and uh, really uh, often we, we haven't made a lot of progress. And so, Lord, I just pray that you might help us to, to learn how to keep the conversation going, um, how that uh, people with a hard heart might uh, soften during the course of conversation, by the way that we speak to them, the questions that we ask them, the, the things that we raise, the, the things that we choose not to engage in or talk about, which are really diversions and distractions, uh, Lord, help us again to learn from the Lord Jesus that we might uh, better represent him and his saving gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.